Aaron and Hannah, the grandparents and, and other family members and friends who are here today to, to uh, our worship service that. And, and thank you for sharing this with us this morning. There are a few upcoming events of particular note. On Sunday, August 13th at 6 p.m., we are hosting Family Trivia Night. There will be games for both adults and kids to enjoy. Sunday, August 20th at 5 p.m. is our next praise and worship night. We will be praying for our students, teachers, and administrators as they head into the school year. On Sunday, September 3rd, we will have worship at the uh, New Knoxville Park at 10.15. So note, 10.15, a little later start time. There will be a carry-in meal afterwards for all to enjoy. There will be more information in upcoming bulletins. And now we will have our greeting time. What a blessing we have as a family church and uh, sharing worship with each other every Sunday morning, the time to to be together, to worship. Um, Such a blessing for us all to to do that and and to share with one another. Um, Good morning once again, and welcome to those listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning. We will now have the call to worship, so if you'd rise and join me, um, you can follow along, actually participate and read with me. It's uh, it's taken from Psalm 61, so please join me in the call to worship. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you, I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Now let us join the praise team by worshiping our Lord and with singing Leaning and Make Room.
Break 
No children will be harmed during the presentation of this morning's children's chant. We do have medical personnel on standby, though. Good morning, good morning. How's it going? Got a few coming down. Got a few coming down. Oh, this is later. Sorry. Too soon. Spoiler. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You having a good time? What a good weather. How nice has it been? A little hot? You know, been in the pool? All right. Well, today, today's scripture is, well, it's from Psalms. It's an, you know, Old Testament book, and it's written by David. And today's Bible story is all about two things. You ready? You've got to listen. It's three verses today. All right, I'm going to give you the quick, and, the quick version. It's all about knowing what you want and knowing how to wait. Know what you want, know how to wait. Uh, oh, man, you know, do you ever see in the stores when they have Christmas in July? You hear about Christmas in July? Do we have Christmas in July? Well, the stores would like us to, but no, we don't. But think about, anyone got anything on their Christmas list yet? Are we thinking about stuff that we want? Do you want anything on that Christmas list yet? Any ideas? What do you got? A pogo stick. Perfect. It comes with a complimentary arm sling. That is fantastic. That is perfect. That's a two for one. Awesome. Anything else? Anyone else looking for anything yet? Thinking about that stuff? Well, you know, the Bible story today talks about how we have to live knowing what we want most. And, and that's what the, the message today is about, our greatest desire. And in the psalm, you'll hear, uh, you'll hear David talk about how he wants more than anything, more than anything, to live up in heaven, in God's house, all the rest of the days of his life. And then later he says, I have confidence and I have patience. I will wait. I believe that I will see it yet in the kingdom of the living. And then after I die, I'm going to go see it even more. Okay, so it's all about what we want. And how to wait. What does that have to do with a crowbar? What do you think? Okay, I'll tell you a little story. When I was a boy, no. When I got married, the first thing I put on my first Christmas list is I wanted a crowbar. We had just bought a house. We were always fixing up stuff. Oh my goodness, there's always things to work on. Now we have a farm. We got more stuff to work on and fix. I put a crowbar on my Christmas list as something that I wanted for 10 years, 10 years. And I'm like asking my wife, I'm like, are you telling people what I want? Are you giving them my list? Because what is more disappointing than Christmas morning when you don't get that thing you asked for? I asked for this for 10 years. I knew what I wanted, but I got a little grumpy and didn't know how to wait. You know that? And I bought lots of other tools. I had to buy hammers, I had to buy new levels. I bought tape measures and screwdrivers and saws and nails. And I thought to myself, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to trust the system. I'm going to wait. I will wait for my crowbar. And sure enough, after 10 years, the crowbar came. How great is that? But 10 years is a long time to wait. And the Bible story, think about David. You know, David who wrote Psalms like King David, like David and Goliath. He's been dead a long time and he's still waiting for the kingdom of God to come down to earth. He's waiting for all these awesome things. And that's what we got to do too. Because at the end of the day... What should we really want most? What should we want more than a pogo stick? What should we really want more than that crowbar? Is we want to be in that relationship and get to spend the rest of eternity with our God in heaven. So maybe the next time you are playing with a toy or as you're making a Christmas list or a birthday list, many months from now, because Christmas can wait, okay? I saw Halloween decorations at Lowe's this week. Come on, it's July. Pump the brakes here, people. But the next time you're making a list about the things that you want, 
Maybe take a second to think about what do you really want most. And then we've got to go to the Bible and we've got to pray and think about how do we wait? How do we wait? Because that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing for sure. So that's what I got. Y'all want to fold your hands and pray with me? See, I made you wait. That was really good. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing these young hearts and minds to us this morning, Lord. Just continue to pour into them all of your love and goodness. And as they grow and mature in wisdom and stature with you, just continue to fill them and support them. Um, cover them with your healing touch and your protection um, as they go from this place and in all the days of their lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Clinton, for that children's shot this morning. At this point in the service, I want to invite forward August and Callum Bastion. They're the sons of Aaron and Hannah Bastion for holy baptism. Come on up, buddy. I know children's chat was awesome, but now you got to stay up here when everybody else went back to their seats, huh? Well, we're very excited to have you guys with us today, and we're really excited to be able to um, baptize your children here this morning. I want to invite you to hear these words of Jesus, an invitation and promise that's been offered to all of us. He says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so it's in obedience to this command that the church baptizes believers and their children. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching the first sermon to that first gathering of believers after the Holy Spirit came, he said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so it's in light of these promises that we baptize believers and their children. Now, obviously, as you come here today uh, as parents, you are standing with your children in this moment. And it's really about your opportunity to state your faith in the Lord and your commitment to love him and to know him and to serve him in your lives. And it's that faith that you are promising today to pass on to your children so that as they grow to uh, to know the Lord, they will be prepared to make that commitment themselves, the same commitment that the two of you have made in your own lives. And so I ask you, Aaron and Hannah, to answer these following questions as a statement of your faith in Jesus, the Savior and Lord. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his, and showing his love as long as you live? And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers? Praise God. Church family, I invite you to join with us as we recite the Apostles' Creed together, this ancient statement of our shared faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So Aaron and Hannah, having heard God's gracious promise to you in Christ, do you desire that August and Callum be baptized into this faith today? Praise God. And church family, we have an opportunity to come alongside them as they seek to fulfill this commitment in their lives. You know, we believe, and you've heard me say this many times, that, that parents are the primary disciple makers in a children's life, right? And that's why they are standing here today before God and before his, fa- his church family to make that commitment, the vows that you're about to make here in just a moment. But we as a church family, as, and as the greater body of Christ, have a role to play in that as well, to support them and encourage them in both formal and informal ways. And so we are called to come alongside them and help them to fulfill this promise that they're making today. And so church family, having heard their desire to baptize their children and raise them to know Christ, do you promise your love and support and care to them as they seek to be Christ's faithful disciples? Who wants to love, support, and care for you as you seek to know and follow Christ? Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. And we thank you for this family and for these children being baptized today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, you've made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. And I pray that you would bless and sustain these children. Draw them to yourself just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. May they grow to know and love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray for their parents that you would equip them to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love you. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, your beloved son. Amen. And so Aaron and Hannah, since you have promised, presented August and Callum for baptism, we ask you the following questions before God and his people. Do you promise to instruct August and Callum by word and example with the help of the Christian community and the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for them and teach them to pray? And do you promise to nurture them within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Praise God. Praise God. All right. August, you want to come to me, buddy? Not sure about that? That is okay. You can stay right there with Dad. August, having heard your parents' profession of faith and their commitment to raise you to know, love, and serve the Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. He doesn't know any better, right? Yeah, we're good. And Callum, having heard your parents' profession of faith and their commitment to raise you to know, love, and serve the Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. And we thank you for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that you wash away our sins and give us new life as we put our trust in you. We pray for August and Callum. Bless and strengthen them today with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love and deepen their faith. Keep them from the power of evil and enable them to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May they grow to know, love, and serve you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also ask that you look with kindness upon Aaron and Hannah, that they let them always rejoice in the gift that you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up August and Callum to know you, love you, and serve you and their neighbor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We do have a gift for you guys. Uh, we have, the, obviously, the white roses on the altar as well as Bibles for each of your children and the certificates. At the end of the service, I can, I can get those for you guys. Looks like you have your hands full at the moment. So I invite you to, to go ahead and be seated. Thank you guys for being here this morning. At this time, I do want to, uh, well, quite appropriately, our offering this morning supports the Children's Ministry Fund here at First Church. Uh, that fund goes to support ministries from Sunday school to Awana and all that goes into that. And as you know, we really value those ministries here at the church, and we're really grateful for all of the, the volunteers and teachers and helpers that go to make those ministries possible. And so I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. And all undesignated gifts that are placed on the plate this morning will go to support the Children's Ministry Fund here at First Church. Um, and, and so I invite the deacons to come forward at this time and collect their offering. Sometimes I fall to my knees and pray. Oh, come, Jesus, come. Let today be the day. Oh, sometimes I feel like I. I'm holding on to a hope that won't fade. Oh, come, Jesus, come. We've been waiting so long for the day you return to heal every hurt and rise. Oh. Uh-huh. 
let today be the day. He'll come for the weak and the strong just the same. And all will believe in the power of His name.
Today's scripture reading is Psalm 27, verses 4 and 13 through 14. You can find it on page 550 in your pew Bible. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of all the Lord, of the Lord, and be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thanks, Caleb. You guys can be seated. Let's pray together again. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here and to study your word together as a church family. We thank you that it is read and proclaimed here this morning, and we thank you that we have time to pause and to meditate on it and to study it together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this place and that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today, uh, those that are gathered here in the sanctuary as well as those that are listening on the radio and watching online. And Lord, may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure many of you saw the news this week that there was another uh, ridiculous uh, Powerball drawing, right? The, the jackpot kept growing and growing and growing over the past couple weeks. And I heard news that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever the drawing was, uh, an individual from California won $1.08 billion, yes, that's billion with a B, billion dollars in the lottery. Now, I don't play the lottery, and I don't encourage that you necessarily play the lottery either, but it's fun to play the imaginary game of what would you do if you did win the lottery, right? And Allie and I have had that conversation multiple times over the years, and, you know, as these jackpots grow bigger and bigger, of course, they're all over the news, and you can't help but wonder what you would do if you won the lottery. Allie and I have talked about how we'd love, of course, there's the, there's the smart, responsible things to do, like pay off dad and all of those things, right? That's always a good thing to do. Uh, but then we thought of what we do with all the rest of that money, right? We would uh, be able to build a big, fancy new house and nice cars. Uh, one of the things that we've always said is we'd love to get all of our friends together, our friends from college that we've all kind of scattered all over the place. And we love to be able to to build them homes so we all have like a place to live and grow up together and our kids growing up together in the same neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, those sorts of ideas are just uh, what, what rolls around in our head. All the ways that we could use that money, right, for our own pleasure, for our own joy, and uh, certainly spending it on ourselves, right? That's a natural way for us to a natural direction for you to go when you're thinking about those things. Now, what would you do if you won the lottery? Again, not encouraging that you play it. Don't take this the wrong way. But if you were suddenly gifted, right, with $1.08 billion, imagine the things that you could do with it. Where does your mind go, right? What's, the, what's that first thing that comes to mind as you think of what you would do with that sort of money? Now, I'm sure that there was something that came to mind, right? There was something that, some direction your thoughts went in right away. And I want you to think about that because here's, here's what I want you to contemplate here for just a moment. Whatever that thing was 
however you would spend your money right away if, if you were given all of that, that's an indication of what you desire the most. That thing that you would do with all of that money is an indication of where your heart is and the thing that you want more than anything else in the world, the thing that you think is going to make you happy, the thing that you think is finally going to bring you the joy and the fulfillment that you can't find anywhere else. Now, before I move on, there's one more comment about the lottery that I feel like it's important to make. You know who wins the lottery every time it's played? The government, right? I read somewhere that out of this $1.08 billion that this person won, more than half of it is going to end up in the coffers of the government through taxes and those sorts of things. So just don't, don't get me wrong. Every time the lottery's played, it's the, it's the government that ends up winning most of the money. Um, but that's a whole different story, I guess. You see, our, our desires influence how we live. Our desires influence the way that we organize our lives. Our desires help define, in a certain sense, who we are and the way that we live in this world. So I'll ask again, what is your greatest desire? What is the one thing that you want more than anything else in this world? Now, there are a lot of good answers to that question. But as we see in the psalm here today, there is one thing that is the best answer to that question. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, in this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. That is the one thing that we should desire more than anything else, right? That is the one thing in this world that will truly satisfy us that will meet the desires of our hearts, the one thing that is greater than anything else this world has to offer. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we are, that is full of distractions. We live in a world where our hearts are divided and we don't seek the one thing we should like we should. Our attention is, is sent in a thousand different directions. We become focused on things that are temporary and insignificant in the long run. And we do not seek the Lord in his glory, in his temple, in this life and in the life to come, the way that we were created to do. There's lots of things that, we, that we're distracted by in this world, isn't it? I said one of them already here, money, right? Money is a huge distraction there's a reason why the Powerball got up to $1.08 billion over the course of these last few months, and that's because people are throwing their money away, attempting to win it big, because they think that if they just have enough money, they'll finally be happy. If they just have enough in the bank account, they'll be able to afford all of the things that they lack, and that in doing so, they'll finally see, find that fulfillment that they've been looking for. We also are distracted by relationships. We put, we put an inordinate amount of value in certain relationships in our lives. Now, relationships are good, and they can be a very good thing for us. Our, your spouse, your children, your parents, good friends and coworkers, 
bosses, employees, right? Those are all relationships that we have in this world, and they are good to pursue them. But when we make them the most important thing, we're missing the point. When relationships, however good they may be, become the most important thing in our lives, we crush ourselves and that other person under the weight of our expectations. They possibly cannot fulfill our ultimate need. And of course, this list could go on and on. We could talk about the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of power, the pursuit of popularity or fame. All of those things distract us in this world. And to one degree or another, we all succumb to those temptations. But I want to save the best one for last, the one that I think is probably the, the biggest struggle that we go through in this world. And that is the desire to self, uh, um, what's, the word, what's the word to put this? Um, independence. To define ourselves apart from the Lord. Apart from societal norms. Apart from the normal ways that, that God's people have defined themselves over the years. Our culture today says the, the biggest lie that we buy into is, is this idea of you just, right? But that is a distraction. That is a divided heart because we are not our own creator, right? God created us to know him, to love him, to serve him. He created us with a purpose in a unique way and to live any way apart from God's intended purpose and design is to put ourselves on a pedestal that only God deserves. You see, there are lots of distractions, lots of things that we pursue that aren't the ultimate good. And all of those things, right, can be, can be good or bad to one degree or another, right? There are good relationships in life and there are bad relationships in life. There are good things you can do with the, the money and the resources God has provided for you and there's ways that you can blow it on your own pleasure and you're in seeking your own gratification, right? Just ask the prodigal son from the story, the parable in Luke 15, right? So there's different degrees of that. But even the good things in life, even the blessings that God has provided for us are just dim shadows of the joy and the pleasure and the fulfillment that he has, he wants to provide for us in a relationship with him. Even the best things in this life are just dim shadows compared to the, the beauty and the glory and the joy and the fulfillment that is found in Jesus. See, here's, here's a truth that you need to, we all need to remind ourselves of, that we will make time and we will, priori we will prioritize the things that we care most about. You see, we were made to worship. God created us with this innate desire to, to worship him, to be connected to something bigger and, and, and beyond ourselves. It's just hardwired into our DNA as human beings. And if we don't worship the Lord, we're going to find something else to worship, right? We're going we're gonna to fill that void with something in our own lives. It could be ourselves, as I just mentioned. It could be a, a plethora of other things in this world. But we will find something to worship, if we don't worship the Lord. And so we, we will prioritize something. We will make a, a list of things that are, are most important to us. 
and we'll make time and spend our money on those things. That's why our calendars and our checkbooks really are theological documents, right? The way that we spend our money and the way that we spend our time says a lot about who we are and what we care most about. So think about those things. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What do you prioritize in your life above and beyond everything else? And if that thing you're thinking of is not the Lord, then you're missing out, right? If that thing that is most important in your life, that you spend more, more time and more money and more energy on, is not Jesus, then you're living a distracted, divided life. That's the problem. And, and Scripture offers us a solution to that problem. And it's right there in verse 4. To desire one thing above all else. To make our relationship with the Lord our number one priority in our lives. And before we move on, I have to say... That doesn't mean it's the only important thing, right? To say that Jesus is the most important thing in your life doesn't mean that other things aren't important at all. It's just knowing their proper place. Jesus is the most important thing. He is the one thing above all else that we should seek. And then that helps us to understand everything else in its proper context. Our family, our jobs, our, our, our communities that we live in, our schools, all of those things are important but we must understand them in relationship to the one thing that is most important. So how do we make that a priority? Well, we must have an understanding of, of God's beauty and glory and majesty. That's the thing that captivated David here. That's why he seeks the Lord, the, the face of the Lord in his temple, because he, is, he knows that the beauty of the Lord is greater than any of the distractions that we experience in this life. I spent all week kind of just thinking about how to communicate the beauty of the Lord, how to communicate how just wonderful and glorious and majestic God is. And to be honest, I don't think I can. And here's why. Have you guys ever been somewhere that was just beautiful, right? That was just impossible to describe? A few years ago, Allie and I got a chance to go to San Francisco to celebrate our anniversary. And while we were there, we spent a day at Yosemite National Park. Now, I know Jack and Sarah and others have been there. For those of you who have been to Yosemite or a place like that, you know that you can just stand there and just be in awe of the beauty around you. There was one spot we, we pulled off on the scenic outlook, and it was just unlike anything that I had ever seen before in my life. Even the pictures I took, looking back on them, I was like, yep, that is not doing it justice. Now, imagine I were to stand here today and try to describe to you what that scenic overlook was like in, in minute detail. I could spend the next three days trying to describe it in all of its detail and all of its beauty and all of its grandeur. But unless you stand there and see it for yourself, you're just not going to get it. You're just not going to understand how beautiful that scene was. That's what it's like with the Lord. I can stand here and tell you all about how the Bible describes God's glory and his majesty. I could talk about the, the pillar of cloud and fire that led the Israelites to the desert. I could talk about the, the glory that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated it for the first time. Talk about Isaiah's vision in the temple when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. 
Talk about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when for a moment his earthly uh, uh, glory uh, went into the background and, and Peter, James, and John saw him in all of his glory as he truly is. Talk about the scenes of God's heavenly throne room and revelation and the creatures and angels constantly praising God. But it just went into a justice. Right? You have to know it and see it for yourself. In Exodus, uh, I think it's 34, Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's talking with the Lord. This is part of that whole scene where Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments and the law and the instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And Moses asks a simple question, a simple prayer. He asks the Lord, just show me your glory, right? Show me your glory. And the Lord allows it. Of course, with some caveats, because, because nobody could possibly see the, all the fullness of God's glory and survive that. And so, so Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord covers him and allows his goodness and his glory to pass by. And Moses is able to get just a glimpse of his coattails as he passes by. But that's the prayer. Show me your glory. That's the prayer that we need to pray. If we want to truly desire that one thing above all else, we need to get a taste of it for ourselves. We need to pray, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory, that I may see it in the land of the living, that I may experience it, even just the taste of it, because that would be enough. Now, of course, we have an advantage that David didn't have, don't we? We no longer have a temple that we have to travel to. There's no longer an elaborate system of sacrifices that we need to uh, submit to in order to enter into God's presence in the temple. David writes in, in verse 13, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land. David didn't understand it, but that verse is fulfilled not in a, a building in Jerusalem, but in a person that came down, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. In Jesus, all the goodness and the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the Lord is on full display. And so we have an advantage. We can see Jesus. We have seen his character, his work, and all the things that he's done. God has made himself known through Christ. And so my encouragement to you today there's a problem. Our hearts are distracted and divided. And the solution to that is to, to truly believe that God is greater than all the things in this world has to offer. That God is more glorious, more beautiful, more majestic. He is worth it. And so we need to learn to, to seek God's presence in our daily lives. problem is we can't all just move to a monastery, right? right? We can't all just quit our jobs and, and stop doing everything and just hang out here all the time. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this story of Jesus visiting some friends, Mary and Martha, two sisters. And as he's there, there's, of course, preparations and things that need to be prepared. Every time Jesus showed up, more people followed, right? And so there were things to do, and Martha spent the afternoon making preparations, Mary, on the other hand, just sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said that, and Martha gets kind of upset and, and confronts Jesus and says, basically, tell Mary to help with the chores, right? 
And Jesus says, she has chosen the better thing, and I will not deny that to her. Now, that's a very unique situation. Jesus was there in the flesh and for a very limited amount of time. And of course, preparations did need to be made. It's not that Martha, what Martha was doing was not important. It just wasn't the most important thing in that moment. But we all know that we have things that we need to do in this world, right? We can't just give up all of our other responsibilities and just seek the Lord in his temple all the time. We have jobs to do. We have families to take care of. We have kids to raise. We have spouses, right? We have all sorts of other commitments. So the challenge then is what does it look like to seek the Lord above all else while we continue to do those things? How do we, in other words, be a, be a Mary, right, in seeking the Lord and dwelling in his presence while we also fulfill the responsibilities of Martha? I think that's what God is calling us to do. Well, there's a couple practical pieces of advice I want to give you as we wrap up our time here this morning. One is that we need to learn how to just cultivate an awareness of God's presence in our lives. There's a monk that lived in the 17th century named Brother Lawrence, and, and he, he, there's a collection of his uh, letters that he wrote to others about what it means to practice the presence of God. And he talked about how important it was to just cultivate an awareness that God is with you all the time. That you don't need to go to a church to be in God's presence. You don't need to carve a, set aside a certain hour of the week that God is only present on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.15 if you listen on the radio. Right? God is present with you anywhere and everywhere you are. And so learn to acknowledge his presence. Talk to him, right? Keep it simple, but just acknowledge that he is there with you all the time. So whatever you find yourself doing, do it for the Lord. Do it to honor him and please him and do it out of a love for him, not the blessings that he can provide for you, not the, not the things that he can do, but simply out of love for him and that relationship that you have. Another thing that's important is to, to spend time in worship. Now, what we do on Sunday mornings is important, but this is not the only time that we should be worshiping the Lord. Worship is a regular, ongoing practice that we make. It's a commitment to live our lives in light of him and in, in re grateful response to all that he's done for us. And so worship happens on Sunday mornings, but it also happens on your drive to work, over a meal with your family, right? as you're walking through the neighborhood. All of those are opportunities to worship, to be thankful for all that God has done for you in your life. And finally, I know this is the Sunday school answer, but there's a reason why it is the Sunday school answer. And that is to create a regular rhythm of Bible reading and prayer. The more that you're in God's word, the more that you spend time praying to him, the more that you're going to be aware of his presence throughout your life. And so it's important to commit yourselves to regular Bible reading, to regular prayer, and to allow that to, to shape and frame your everyday life. Because if you are able to do that, then you are able to keep God at the center of your attention all the time. Now, there's going to be distractions. We're going to have divided hearts. We're going to go through moments where, where God is not at the forefront of our mind. But that regular rhythm of Bible study and prayer, of worshiping with God's people, is going to help bring God back to the center when you get distracted. It's going to help raise an awareness of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit's presence and prompting 
that's going to help us to do that. Now in closing, I want to just comment on those last couple verses. Again, being confident, remaining confident that we will see the Lord's goodness. Many of you are sitting here right now saying, thinking, this is great, but I have a hard time seeing the goodness of the Lord right now. I have a hard time seeing his glory because I'm going through some pretty tough stuff. I'm going through difficulties that, that Pastor Joel, you just don't understand. I get it. I understand that not everybody is living on a mountaintop all the time. But here's the thing. God is still good. He is still God no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're going through. Think about it like the sun. Right? During the middle of the day, the sun is shining bright, and you have no doubt that the sun is real, right? Because you can see its light. You can feel its warmth. You can see the effect that it has on the world. But as the sun sets, its, its light disappears, right? It goes away. Darkness comes. And in that night, you may be tempted to believe that the sun has abandoned you, that the sun is gone because you can't see it anymore. You can't feel its effect. But just because the sun set doesn't mean it ceases to exist. In fact, the sun is just as bright and glorious at night as it is during the day. You just can't see it. God's goodness is not dependent upon our circumstances. We will experience dark nights. We'll experience difficult times. But that does not mean God is not good anymore. That does not mean he is no longer glorious or beautiful. It's just difficult for us to see. As Christians, we believe that God is working to restore all things. Yes, we see glimpses of God's goodness and his glory and his beauty and his majesty now in this world, but we'll see it in its fullness one day. We believe one day that Jesus will come and that when he does, he's going to bring heaven to earth. He's going to establish his kingdom here and now and that he is going to restore all things. There's a Japanese art called kintsugi, and I am probably not pronouncing that correctly. Kintsugi. It is the art of repairing broken pottery. If a bowl breaks, they don't just throw away the pieces. They take those pieces and they, they put them back together and they use this tree resin that, that acts as a glue to hold it back together. And after putting it back together piece by piece, they take gold and overlay the cracks with gold. They don't hide the brokenness. A piece of pottery is, is even more beautiful than it was before it was broken. See, that's what God is doing in us and in this world. We are broken. We experience brokenness. But God is piecing us back together, isn't he? God is restoring us bit by bit, piece by piece. And one day, he is going to do that for all of creation. Those broken pieces of pottery are going to be fit back together. God is going to restore all things so that there is no more grief or crying or mourning or pain. And somehow, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, we are going to be even more beautiful for having been broken. Right? We are going to experience God's glory and majesty and beauty in a whole new way, in a, in a more profound way for having experienced the dark night, for having experienced that brokenness than we ever would have without it. That is what we wait for. That is the one thing 
that we seek. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your beauty, for your glory, for your majesty. Thank you that in Christ we see it. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can experience it for ourselves. And we acknowledge, Lord, that even in our brokenness, we only see it in parts. But one day, one day when you come back, you will, we will experience it in all its fullness. And we thank you for these things and pray them now in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship, I invite you to stand and let's sing our closing hymn. It's number 213, Because He Lives. the Lord.
through immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And you may go in peace.